0: Thanks for tuning in. We got, uh, let's see, it's Monday towards the end of March, and we are putting together another episode of the Blake Benz podcast. This episode marks our 1,000th download of our podcast, which is pretty exciting stuff. You know, I I feel like I kind of just ramble about uh, things that I have found to be true about entrepreneurship, business, life. You know all of those different things, and uh apparently, I'm such an extrovert that I decided that on the days that I didn't have too much going on that I would just uh talk into a microphone for you know half an hour or so, and for whatever reason, we have one thousand downloads of of people who've said, "You know what I want to listen to this guy and so uh I am grateful, I appreciate it. thanks so much for your support. Uh, It's really weird and odd to me to be recording this and then I'll be out at lunch somewhere or uh, I was out at Chewy's the other day and uh, the server was walking by and said, hey, I heard your uh, podcast. And I thought, wow, okay, cool. You know, so my podcast is being listened to by a bunch of random people, uh, which is great. And again, I really appreciate the support. I appreciate uh, the people who have given me great feedback and who are finding uh, whatever benefit they can from this podcast. Uh, and that's really the whole that's the dream. you know that's the uh, it's the it's the why behind the uh, the rat race, I guess of entrepreneurship and business is you know if we're not making a difference, if we're not making an impact in some way, then you know life's kind of meaningless, right? And so the whole plan behind this podcast from day one has been how can I put together something that uh, somebody will find value from? You know, and uh, I was joking with someone the other day because I saw that my numbers were getting close to a thousand and something like it, I think it was something like uh, maybe three or four months ago that I was listening to another podcast on podcasts and was just trying to get some ideas for how I can give a better experience to people who are listening. And the guy who was doing this podcast was saying, you know, these are the things that you can expect from a really successful podcast. And he was like, well, let's say you're not a successful podcast. Let's say you're just like an average podcast. And so most average podcasts get uh, a certain number of downloads per episode. And and so I'm listening to this and thinking, okay, yeah, like what's the number going to be, right? Because uh, I'm at something like maybe 50 downloads per episode or something. And so I'm listening to this guy and he says, so let's say you're on the average spectrum, and so you're you're doing what's pretty normal for podcasts, and so your numbers are around, I don't know, maybe like 6,000 downloads per episode, and so I listen to this, and I think, oh, I'm around 50, but hey, you know, you got to start somewhere, and you got to build momentum somewhere, so I am not discouraged at all. Uh, because you can't see the tears running down my face right now, but uh, I love that I get to produce something that that people are enjoying and that people are listening to, and if this is your first time listening today, uh, we're going to be talking about something that hopefully is relevant to you, and uh, that's really kind of my style with this kind of stuff anyways. I just try to be really authentic, really practical, and try not to get too in the weeds on business theory or anything like that, and so... Having said that, today uh, we're going to be talking about something that I get a lot of questions about, and it's something where, you know, when you've when you've worked in a field for a certain number of time, uh, there's a certain vocabulary that becomes really normal to you, and it becomes so normal to you because you're using it constantly, and then you run into people who you forget, and this this sounds really like obnoxious, but. You forget that they don't know what you know in terms of the vocabulary that you use. And so it's not like you're smarter than them or better than them or anything like that. It's, it's, like, it's like if you were to work with a group of entrepreneurs, for example, and you use the expression, okay, how do we make this scale? Or let's say you're talking to a bunch of startup founders and you're saying, how do we scale this? Everyone and their mother knows what we mean when we say scale. We're we're essentially saying we have found a level of success. Now, how do we exponentially grow this thing to be more profitable? A really great analogy for this is I have uh, quite a few friends who have their own woodworking businesses. And so at some point, you would get into the conversation of scale. It's if you're creating these handcrafted, Uh, items that you're selling, at some point you're going to hit a revenue ceiling because you can only make a certain number of, you know, wooden tables, for example, per day. So how do I then make more money when the day is not any longer than 24 hours? So that's, that's the question of scale. It's how do we multiply our impact? How do we multiply our revenue when we're limited by a certain number of resources, and so if I use that expression of scale around a bunch of like startup owners, they would all know what I mean. If I'm talking to a brand new business owner though, and let's say they've just quit their job, you know, they've, they've quit their full-time job and they're going into business for themselves and they're totally, they don't know what they're doing. And we get into this conversation and I say, okay, well, how do you think you'll scale this long-term? They may, they might look back at me like I'm a crazy person. And it's not because they're they're foolish or naive, it's just because they've they haven't been around this this dialogue uh in the same way that I have, in the sense that I I use this, we we use these these conversational uh we, we use these terms every single day. Well, the one I want to talk about today is culture. And I want to really break down what exactly does it mean to have a high profit culture. And it's it's you know, in my field, when we talk culture, there's really nothing that's more important to the success of someone's business. Uh, that's obviously my own bias. However, what's really ironic is I know I'm I know I'm onto something at least mildly true because I'll be talking about something like this, and then I'll see someone like uh, Gary V or or John Maxwell or uh, these people who are Simon Sinek. You know, these people who are they're in the business world as like these, these big authoritative figures. And they're saying things that I I know to be true. And I believe about my own business. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, well, if these guys are saying it, then I must not be crazy. We must be onto something correct here. And something that Gary v has been really big on over the last couple of weeks has been culture. And it's funny because it's, it's, and a lot of this goes back to also How important it is, your brand, and in what you say about yourself, and how do you assert your value as a professional? Because I think about clients that I've worked with in the past who I would say something, and it's interesting. I would give a piece of advice, and you'd have one client who would say, Oh my gosh, that's phenomenal. Yes. And then I'd give the same exact piece of advice to someone else, same circumstances, same situation, and they would say, No, I really disagree with that. That's really not correct. And I've, I've been thinking about, okay, what what is it that makes one person receptive versus the other? And I think there's conversations of ego. I think there's conversations of, you know, communication. You know, how do I communicate to this person and then also communicate to this totally different type of person? But I think all of it also falls back on brand and it falls back on your value and what you're asserting to people. And that's really a whole different... Uh, point of conversation that I don't want to get into today, but, but maybe in my next episode, I'll get, I'll get into that specifically. But so when we talk about culture, I really feel like there's nothing more important for your business when it comes to scale than this conversation of culture and culture. We're actually not talking about, uh, diversity, although people often go to that mentally. We're not talking about diversity. We're not talking about representation, we are talking essentially about, uh, and I'm trying to think of a really good example, or a really good definition for this. Culture is like, um, it's 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 intangible, it's intangible, but it's also tangible. Like it's something that's very abstract to think about, so it's hard for owners to grab onto this concept. But you know it because you experience it every single day, and effectively, what culture is, it's essentially. It's the the attitudes, the beliefs, the perceptions that people have about their work. And so when we say that a company has a really good workplace culture, or we say a company has a really toxic workplace culture, what is then implied are... It's it's that the attitudes of the people who work there are very toxic. They're very negative. Or if it's a good workplace culture, it's people who are, they're going the extra mile. I mean, they're, they're really putting in the hours. I mean, they're really working even beyond maybe their minimum contractual obligations to see the company successful. And the biggest disconnect we see when we, when we have this conversation on culture is that you have a group of people who... They grossly misunderstand what culture is and what it does for your business, and what I mean by that is, and I've kind of I've kind of got on my soapbox about this a couple times, especially in the last few weeks, because I may get into a conversation with someone and I say, "Well, what's your culture like?" and and they go on to describe things that actually have nothing to do with culture, and so, for example, I might say, "Well, I mean, it, man, it, do you have a, a healthy culture?" Well, yeah, I mean, we got we got an employee of the month award or they might say, well, yeah, we got, I mean, we got casual Friday or we got, you know, we got jeans Friday and they'll, they'll name these really weird random kind of off the wall. Uh, it's, it's like these, like I see where they're coming from, but like from a professional standpoint, none of these things have anything to do with culture. In fact, you could have a phenomenal, productive, healthy culture and have, have, have none of those things. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't need any of those things to have a really great culture. You know, and I, I put out a newsletter this last week and I, was talking a little bit about this topic and I snapped a pic uh, or I pulled a pic online of uh, some people who were working while sitting in beanbag chairs. And if I hear one more business owner who talks about, Oh yeah, we need to get a beanbag, a beanbag chair, or we need to get a foosball table or we need to get a ping pong table. None of these things have anything to do with culture. And if that is where your mind goes, when you think of culture, you're, you're operating on a level that is very superficial. Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to say it very, directly. It's a very superficial understanding. And so not only do do owners misunderstand what exactly culture is, but also I've found that many owners have a, they have a, I don't know if it's delusional or if it's, it's it's just that many cultures are very, uh, many cultures, many owners are very disconnected from how their culture really is in their business. And so I was talking to one business owner, and this was uh maybe about maybe five or six months ago. And I was, I was talking to one business owner, and, and 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 here's the deal: when you when you work with businesses long enough, you know it's it's part of what makes me successful is I can work across a lot of different industries, and so I can work with construction, I can work with retail, I can work with supply chain, you know, all these different industries. And the reason I can do that is because I don't I don't necessarily have to be a content expert for that industry but the, all the you know the the hallmarks of what makes a great boss or a great business or a great team the, there are certain principles that are the same across all of these industries right and so in in doing what i do a lot of times as i'm talking to someone really in the first 10 minutes of a conversation it's very easy to know or at least get some kind of insight as to okay i i I think I see what's happening here. And so I'm having a conversation with this guy and five or six months ago, and he runs this business and it's, it's a relatively new business. It's been around for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And it's, it's, it's pretty successful. I mean, he's grown his team to maybe about 10 employees. He's doing pretty well for himself. And he's talking through some pain points that he's having with his business. And all of these things, it feels like it relates to culture. And so I asked the question, I just say, uh, I say, um, well, Hey, how's, how's your culture? How's, how's your, the culture of your business going? And he's like, Oh my gosh, it's phenomenal. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's really great culture. Great culture. Uh, really, really great. Uh, we're doing a great job with that. Got that part down. Uh, but I want to talk about some other things that are happening. And so, you know, I kind of checked that one off and I'm like, okay, it's not culture. Let's, let's hear exactly what's going on. And he says, well, here's my problem with my business. I got, I got one employee who I think I have to fire because I found out that he's going to go start his own company doing the same thing that I'm doing. And he's been asking employees internally if they would want to leave and go work for him. And he's been saying things like, you know, your owner doesn't care about you. Your owner doesn't have your best interests in mind. Man, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your future. I'll pay you better, yada, yada. And he's like, so I got that going on. On the other hand, I got this employee who I have to fire, Who or I he had fired. And he's like, this employee is dating this other employee. And so the employee that I let go, uh, his girlfriend now who still works with me is spreading all these rumors about me. And and so I got that going on. Then I got this manager that people are having a tough time with. And so, you know, people don't like to work for that manager. They're trying to change shifts and work for another manager. And it's just a really, it's, it's just a bad situation. And so he's given all these examples and I kind of like, you know, put up my hand, I say, okay, hang on, hang on. Let's, you know, time out. Let's pause for just a second and i said you know i i know you said your culture was really great but everything you just described and i said you you take this for whatever you want it to mean everything you just described are like literally the epitome it's it's like if i was filling out a spreadsheet for is this a toxic culture and i was like checking boxes i would have checked pretty much every box that's on that form i mean you just you just described in my own professional expertise, you've just described everything I've come to, to know to be true about what is a toxic culture, and so I say this, and he kind of pauses for a second, and he kind of thinks for a second, and then he goes, "Wow, you're right." And in hindsight, it's really funny to me because when I when I first asked the question, "You know, that sounds like it's, your, it's a culture issue." No, 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 culture's great. I I I run into owners who don't know what I mean when I say that. But also, I think what's typically true about owners, and this is actually sort of a trend in business in general, is that the people at the top are woefully disconnected from people at the bottom. And you've probably heard like the cliche stories about the boss who goes and eats lunch with their frontline employee. Or I had a uh, guy I really looked up to who had been a superintendent in a school district, I think like in the LA schools, and he every week he would go eat lunch with his bus drivers and like that's like it's it's a great leadership concept and it's kind of like this leadership clicheism but beyond that it keeps you connected with what's actually happening in your business and more often than not when i talk about culture i find that people just they they either don't know their culture or they just don't know what that term means so so what I wanna to do today is I wanna really break this down and, and it, this is gonna be helpful for you for two reasons. If you're an owner, it's gonna give you some insight as to what are some next steps you should be taking for your business. If you're an employee, man, I, I, I think what just, it bums me out is I talk to a lot of employees who frankly, they're, they're, they're working in a job that is miserable, it's unfulfilling, and rather than take the step and actually spend their time in a job that they enjoy, they will subject themselves almost like in this like martyrdom approach of, well, I guess I'll just tough it out for a few few more years, and then maybe I'll look for a job somewhere. I I've heard that express that that saying probably twelve times, even in the last month alone. And, and if that's you, if, if what I described today, if you're listening, you're like, oh my gosh, that's the company I work for, man, I, I, the biggest urge I can give you is that life is so short and it's so precious and like it, it's, it's every, every day matters so much that you have to have the sense of your own value to be able to take the step and move on from what other, from whatever dramatic, dysfunctional company that you're working for. Okay, and if you're somewhere in between, let's say you're not an empo- you're you're I mean you're not like a frontline employee, you're not an owner, but you're some kind of level of manager. If you can understand this, this will absolutely transform your team. And the reason that I say that is because uh, Donnie Smith, CEO of Tyson, long before he was the CEO of Tyson. He was in charge of maybe like refrigeration or retail. I, I don't know what it was. And basically what happened was he was managing this team of people and he he didn't really know what to do about his team. And he just decided, you know what, we're going to make culture the number one focus for our company or, or for my team, excuse me. And so we're going to be spending time on culture and what essentially happened was his division started to outperform all the other divisions like like exponentially so in fact his his division was performing so well that other division owners were calling him and being like what are you doing over there and he was like man we're just we're just putting culture first and like what the heck what is this culture thing like i want that for my team right and and in fact it's actually what led to him becoming the ceo of tyson and then uh, if you're not familiar with his legacy Five out of seven years were record-breaking profit years for Tyson. In fact, they went from something like $8 million uh, in valuation up to something like $70 million while he was the CEO. So he, he basically times 10 his company's value which is just, it's, it's unheard of. And to this day, he still talks about culture being the number one thing. And so even if you're not an owner, even if you're not a frontline employee, if you manage people in any form, this will be useful to you. So let's, let's break down and let's get really practical about what you can do with this. So culture is it's, it's, I mentioned this already. It's the attitudes people have about work. It's the beliefs they have about themselves and the company. Uh, it's it's their perceptions for how things are done, uh, and at some point, you know, I think I need to like I need to like you know open like Microsoft Paint and like really really work out like what are all the components of culture. But what I can say is that. Every owner wants great results for their company. And when we talk about results, we're talking about effectively revenue. Uh, if, if it's a nonprofit, they're, they're usually thinking about the numbers of families, lives, whatever, that they're impacting on a daily basis. And so you have these results that your company wants. And many owners, what they typically do is they spend all of their time and energy investing in those results. And then whatever's left over goes towards culture. And so what happens is it's like, you know, oh, our company's growing. Oh, oh, yeah. And we need to do like Casual Friday to keep the morale of the troops up. Or we have to, oh, oh yeah, we have to, uh, oh, I'm supposed to reinvest back into my employees. So, you know, hey, here's a $50 gift card to, I'm just trying to give like the most obnoxious examples that I've heard of, of people giving, uh, you know, caring about culture. And, and I got to brag on uh, a friend of mine who runs her nonprofit where all the other chapters of this nonprofit uh, nationally, they all do like $50 gift cards or $75 gift cards. And she does like four figure bonuses to her employees. Like she actually really understands what culture means. And so it's, 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 there's a, there's a, just a stark difference between the person who prioritizes it and the person who puts it on the back burner and see effectively what happens is if if I can just make this as tangible as possible to you. Imagine that you're going to a job that you hate, that you're miserable in. And like, and, and <laughs> maybe some of you listening are thinking like, that's really not too hard to imagine because that is my life right now. But let's say you go to a job that you just despise. And let's say you despise it for any number of reasons. You, you, maybe you you don't like it because you feel like your work doesn't really matter You know, I think about the cliche, if you've ever seen Office Space, where he's just like, he's filling out the TPS reports and it was kind of like, nothing I do here is really important. I'm not really making a difference. By the way, this is even more important today for like the millennial group, which is becoming the majority workforce because millennials more than any other uh, older generation cares about social justice, social innovation, actually making an impact. Uh, And so, Let's just say that your work, you feel like it doesn't matter. Or maybe let's say you feel like you're not valued at your job. Let's say that no one would really care if you quit tomorrow. That's what you feel like. Or maybe you feel like there's been these moments where you've gone the extra mile or you've done things very selflessly and no one really noticed or no one was really grateful to you. Or in fact, you did something really selfless and uh, maybe even uh, someone dis- maybe like a boss disregarded that you even did that and came to you to- and came to you and asked you to do even more stuff. And you're kind of like, dude, I just did all of this stuff for free for you, and you have the nerve to ask me to do more. So let's say you you as a whole you don't like your job. You come into work. Let's say you have to be there at eight o'clock. If it's a Sunday or excuse me, if it's a Monday morning, you're already miserable because it's the start of the week. And really, you're thinking about how do I pass the time as fast as possible to actually, uh, you know, get to five o'clock or four o'clock as fast as possible. And maybe you're even somebody who you are finding busy work. You know, you're like the George Costanza of your job. And so you're thinking, you know, how do I, I only have really like two hours of actual work. So how do I really look busy the rest of the day uh, so that no one bothers me? As a whole, the results that you're producing for your company are probably not as uh, meaningful as the person who they love their job. So let's talk about that one, for example. Let's say you love your job so much that it's sunday night and you just like want to go to bed already because you want to i mean you're going to bed at like 8:30 which if if you if you hear that and you're thinking like what's wrong with that that's when i normally go to bed that's weird but let's say you go to bed at 8:30 because you just so badly want to end sunday night because you you want to get back to work on monday and you come in you even come in 10 minutes early you bust your butt all day you it's it's like the day ends and you even stay maybe 10 minutes later because you just have that one more thing you want to get done for the sake of the company so these two people represent very different results in their company and if you are a jaded cynical person you probably hear that second person you think yeah right Ser- come on come on really that's bs no one would ever act that way that is not true and what i would challenge you in your belief in your in your philosophy of business is that you can actually have that second one now maybe not where people are going to bed early on sunday night to come work for you because that might be You might have a cult. (laughs) Maybe I need to do a podcast on if these things are true, you may be running a cult. You know, and so maybe you don't have people like eagerly. It's like, dude, like we don't start work till eight. Please stop coming in at 630. But you can have people who genuinely love working there, who feel such an obligation to the bottom line that maybe they even care more about your revenue than you do. These things are actually possible for your business. The difference between these two, it's the culture you've developed for your business. Culture is not something that goes on the back burner. Culture is something you prioritize and you throw yourself fully into because that is then what dictates the results that people get. And even beyond like, let's think even beyond like personal attitude, If you work in a company where no one trusts each other, how does collaboration happen? If there's politics or drama between people, how do you work together? How do you actually get things done if you can't see what what has to happen in a healthy culture is people have to be able to rely on one another and actually operate as a team to get to the results that you want for your business. So let's talk about a few things that matter for a healthy, productive culture. Because when you have a healthy culture, it should be exponentially growing the revenue of your business. I like to call it a high profit culture, because when you get this right, it actually, it should lead to much more revenue. It's the three Ps of a high profit culture. So we got the three Ps of a high profit culture, and the three Ps are very simple. It's purpose. It's process and it's pay. These are the three things that matter for a high profit culture. Purpose. Why is my work important? Or why does our company exist? Process. Am I clear on how to do my job and how we work together? And pay Am I valued for the good work that I do here? And I mean, am I really valued? You ought to be slapped if your perception of valuing your employees, if you have a totally phenomenal employee, if your perception of this person who is bringing in thousands of dollars is to reward them with an Applebee's gift card, you deserve to be slapped because you are not really valuing your people. Now, I, I got to hold myself back here. We're going we're gonna to talk about that third P here in a minute. Let's start with purpose. Simon Sinek put out a book, uh, maybe it was like four or five years ago, called Start With Why. And it's, it's a great book. Just check it out. The bottom line is, is you have to have a company that has a meaningful purpose that people can actually get behind. People care more about the purpose of their company than the boss that they work for, which should be relieving to you as a boss because with all of your dysfunction, you know, with all of the ways that maybe you're missing the mark in terms of management, people are, are more willing to give you grace for being a bad boss than they are to forgive a company for having an ambiguous vision, for having a purpose that makes no sense. For having one of those really obnoxious purpose statements that, that uh, uh, you know, it's like a, a page long essay. You know, I remember I was talking, I was working with one company last year and I, we, were, we got on the subject of purpose and someone goes, oh yeah, we we, we have an awesome mission statement. And I go, oh really? Well, well, what is it? And they all kind of looked at each other and they tried to, it was like, it was like this chorus of let's let's piece together words that we know. And oh yeah, I remember that part. And no one really even knew it, right? And so it's like, eh, probably not that important of a mission statement. And I don't even really want to get in the weeds here where it's like, you know, oh, I need a mission statement. And because I think what's frustrating about the whole mission statement dialogue is that it's become such a it's become such a clicheism and it's been it's become such a it it's it's, I guess it's not trendy enough in the entrepreneurial world. And so when I get in the conversation with people on this and they say, oh, so you're saying I need a, a great mission statement. Part of me is like, yeah, I mean, you do. I mean, absolutely. But on the other, on the other hand, it's like, I don't really care what clever sentence you put together for your business. What matters more is that you're clear on what you're doing here and what your company is doing. And more importantly, everyone who comes on and works here, they all understand where we're headed. The easiest way to develop that is with this sort of rallying cry of, of of a mission statement. This is a really a common uniform. This is a sentence that we can all get behind that explains why our works why our work matters. And so, purpose matters. It does people in general, they want to, it's, I mean, it's why you find people who have like a midlife crisis. They wake up and they realize I've done nothing. And, and here's, what's interesting. These people don't wake up and say, Oh my gosh, I haven't made enough money. What did I do with my life? Cause that's, that wouldn't make sense, right? Because typically in the, in the whole like stereotype of this, the person goes out and they buy a fancy car or, you know, they spend money or whatever because they're trying to make themselves feel alive. So it's, it's nothing to do with money. No one wakes up in a midlife crisis and says, oh my gosh, I didn't earn enough. Uh, except for some people who, you know, going back to the conversation of value where they take less money for years and years and years because they are such generous people, So typically what happens with people who have these midlife crisis crises is they feel like, oh my gosh, what have I spent my life doing? What have I spent my life doing? Like why? You know, and I always think of when I get on this subject, I always think of here's like the total random example of this. I think of there's an old movie called The Edge and it's with Anthony Hopkins and um, uh, Alex. uh, Oh man, I can't think of his name. Alex, uh, Alec Baldwin, there you go. So you have Anthony Hopkins, you have Alec Baldwin and there's, and I'm just going to spoil the whole movie for you right here. If you've never seen it, it's a great movie and I'm going to ruin it right here. So Alec Baldwin becomes mortally wounded at the end of the movie and he's dying and he realizes he's dying. You know, he kind of has the whole like camera shot of looking down in his hand and seeing blood on his hand and he realizes he's dying, and he says, um, "basically says uh, my life is ending, and I didn't do I didn't do a thing with my life." And he's he's kind of looking up to the sky, like just re- full of regret of I I didn't do I didn't do anything meaningful in life. And and actually, when I was a kid, one of my favorite books, and it's probably still one of my favorite books today. One of my favorite books when I was a kid was this book called The Snows of Kilimanjaro. It's a very short book. Uh, it might even be a short story. I can't really remember. But it's called The Snows of Kilimanjaro. And it's it's a man who is climbing uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, but he's become fatally ill. And the story is basically his last moments as he's sitting in his campsite or he's laying down in his campsite and he's on kind of like, I guess, like the bank, the banks of this mountain. And he is just full of regret, essentially, for his his life goal was basically to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And he is realizing it's never going to happen. And he's not only thinking about this, he's thinking about all the lost opportunities he's had in his life. And I remember reading that. I read it and maybe maybe I was like 14 or 15 years old and I read it and I just felt this this huge sense of loss for this character in this sense of, in my life, I don't want to get to a certain age and realize I've wasted it. That I didn't do the things I wanted to do. And it was such a tangible feeling that it's it's what led me to uh, get into teaching and to like do these things that I felt like were making a real tangible difference. Well, people in general can really empathize with that feeling. People want to work somewhere. They want to have a life that they feel like matters. And so if they're going to spend eight hours a day with you, give them something that matters. Give them a purpose that they can get behind. Give them something that they can feel like, you know what, I contributed to someone else's life through my product. And it doesn't have to be something like in the nonprofit world. I mean, ideally, whatever you do, it matters in some way. I was working with a construction company and I said, why does your work matter? And they kind of looked at each other and like, I don't know. And then finally someone says, well, we, we got to put together a, uh, a, um, basically like a, a chicken house, a chicken coop for this farmer. And now he can, you know, uh, it helps his business. And so now his life is, is better because of the work that we did. And like, just because they paid you for it doesn't mean it's any less meaningful Right. I mean, just because you got money for it, I mean, if you, you should be able to do something really meaningful and empowering and also get paid for it. So, you know, it's not that, you know, just cause you got paid for it doesn't mean it's any less purposeful, but all that to say purpose is so crucial for any business. You know, if you want your people to be productive, if you want them to be, be contributing, they have to know why their work matters. The second P is process. And this one is more just like out of like pure obnoxiousness. And again, I'm going to, because it's working for me, I'm going to go back to talking about my, my movie office space, where there's a scene where they've brought in these outside consultants and the consultants are coming in to basically talk about, we're going to be downsizing our company. And so they're interviewing everybody to see, you know, where's the excess fat? Like, where do we need to cut jobs? And they talk to one guy who says, you know, uh, he takes the order from the customer and then he takes that order directly to the engineers. And, and so the consultants who are thinking about firing this guy say, well, why can't the customers just give the orders directly to the engineers? Why do we need a salaried person to take them from one point to the next? And he goes, well, you know, I have people skills <laughs> and they say, okay, well, so you physically deliver the orders. And he's like, well, no, my secretary does that. And it's like, what do you do here? You know, why, why did <laughs> what's going on here? And, And in the same way, a lot of times you have people who, where they work, their job is so complicated or there's such a lack of clarity. I was talking to one guy who, and it was kind of scary. He was, we were all, it was a bunch of business people talking and he goes, he goes, do any of you guys ever like walk into work and like your boss doesn't know what you should be doing that day? And you kind of just kill time for a few hours and you kind of just wait until there's like some work to be done. And we all kind of looked at each other and we were like, what? I'm like, what? No. No. That is not what happens. But there's people out there who either they there's a lack of clarity as to what they should be doing from a process standpoint. Or what's really obnoxious, here's a great way to kill your business culture, is to have a process that's so outdated frustrating, stupid, complicated that the person actually doing it is, is pissed off that they're having to do it that way. You know, it's like the person who, who, uh, you know, their job has like four extra steps to what really needs to be happening. And probably the, the epitome of what makes this so angering is when like the boss, the manager says, well, that's, that's how they, that's how we did it when I was in your shoes or, well, that's how we've always done it. And it's like, man, it really doesn't matter how you've always done it. It's dumb. You know, the way that we need to do this, it needs to be simple. It needs to be clear and it needs to be a very clear and concise process for my work, why it matters and, and what I'm expected to do every day. And it's also, you see this happen too, with, with employees who get really frustrated and it's when they say something like, you've probably heard it before, that's not my job. And assuming we're not talking about like the entitled employee who's just like, you know, doesn't care at all about anyone except for themselves. Sometimes people say that because it's like the employee who gets the job description. And this is what physically pains me is the employee I talk to who says, well, I was hired for this, but really I do this, 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 this." you know, they have like the slew of things that they do where I think about, you know, I, a friend of mine who I worked with, he did marketing, but he was handling all of the CRM uh, client client data files. And so rather than actually doing marketing, the company really needed someone to handle the CRM stuff. And so he was doing that out of like generosity for his company. Well, the problem is he doesn't like that stuff. He likes marketing. and so he needs to be doing marketing, right? And it's 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 like one owner I talked to. About six weeks ago, who said, I want to hire someone who will be uh, a great uh, admin assistant and also can be a great salesperson. And it's like, dude, if you want to find a way to run someone out of your business quicker, go ahead and give them those two jobs. People flourish when they know exactly what's expected of them. And there's a very clear cut process for doing that job. So process is important. Uh, or, you know, and I think process also includes like having the actual resources to do that process. When I was a teacher, I remember we got to this really weird trend of we were expected to give out. So basically, let me let me back up a little bit. When I was a teacher, there was essentially this this deal where we recognized that a lot of our students were missing school a lot. And it's not because kids were just in general like skipping school, um, although that was sometimes the case. A lot of times you'd have you'd have kids who they were like the 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 breadwinner for their family, and so they were they were the one who was uh, like I had one student for example who would get out of school and then he was go he would go to his job as a chef or as a cook and he would work that job for till like two or three in the morning. And then sometimes he would miss my class, which was at seven 30 in the morning. And he would, he would understandably miss it because he was, you know, working his rear trying to provide for his family. And that's actually not too, uh, unrealistic in this world that I was teaching in, which was in inner city Houston. Well, so we had this, someone had this idea at some point that was like, what if we, and I'm still like mad thinking about it. Uh, cause I can't even just imagine all the trees we killed in this process, but someone said, here's what we should do. If a unit is like two weeks long. And so the kids are going to have like 10 class periods, 10 classes, earning everything there's to know about this, whatever this topic is. What if we created, let's, let's made a, it's kind of a worksheet summary for every day. And we created like a, a workbook or we were, we called them packets, and so like, let's, let's, what if we created a packet for that unit? And so we'd give the kid the packet at the start of the unit so they can work through it and take, even take notes uh, with that packet at the start of the unit. And then at the end, if, if they've missed a day, they at least still have the packet and it, it'll help them do better on their tests, yada, yada, Well, there's a lot of problems with this idea. First of all, the biggest problem is you're asking a, you know, 14 year old kid to keep track of like a 40 page booklet for two weeks and so every day was like, all right, get out your packets. And it was like, Oh, I lost it. Darn it. Whatever. Well, the second thing that was, and then, Oh, and then you'd have to go print another one out for the kid. And that's actually where the biggest pain point was when I talk about process. So someone decided this was a great idea and it was like our team wide initiative. And the thing that was so frustrating about it is we had this copy machine that just simply would not work. It didn't work and it pissed me off because every morning I would be in there at five in the morning, five 30 in the morning, trying to print these packets off. Cause I have a class, you know, maybe I have like 150 students who are all in this class. And so you're trying to print, you know, 150 students worth of this, like 30 or 40 page packet and. You know, the paper is getting jammed, or like some pages, like the the, the ink is is smearing, and, and you can't reprint it right there because the print job gets sent from your computer that's in your classroom. And, you know, my classroom's on a different floor than the printer. And so, you know, if something gets messed up, you have to go back to your classroom. You have to, you know, send the print job again. Then you have to come back to the, uh, The printer and then, oh, you forgot your, you know, your employee ID card. So now it's not even going to let you print. So you have to go back and get that. And, and so the process was so convoluted and frustrating and the printer you'd have some days, the printer would just be broken that I I think I I loop like having what I need to actually do my job in that bucket of process. Uh, So I think that's all, all of that is my soapbox on process and because this podcast is going a little long let's let's go on to this last one let's talk about pay this is probably the one that is most frustrating for business owners and it's frustrating for two two reasons really i talk about i talk to a lot of owners who they want to value their employees in any way possible other than paying them <laughs> and it's almost like a game it's like oh yeah how can i man, I really want to value my employees. I was thinking about buying them a cup of coffee. You know, or I want to give them that Applebee's gift card. And it's like, you don't really, you don't really value your employees. You, you really don't value your employees. Costs brings, excuse me, value brings an implicit cost with it. If you value your employees, you should financially value them it's like the person I talked to who wanted the employee for the seventy thousand. It was like some job that the industry average is seventy thousand dollars, and she said, "Blake, who can I find that I'll that'll take thirty five thousand dollars? It'll take half the pay." And it's like, you know, I and 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 I, and I get it. Your job, there, the needs of your business are so complex, and there are so many plates that are spinning. That sometimes you feel like you need something, and you're, you're trying to. It's like the it's the, it's the shoestring budget. It's like, how do I put this together in a way that I get great talent, but it doesn't break the bank to get them? And I I get that. I totally get that. What I will say though is that that is not sustainable in the long term. And a buddy of mine, he was talking about his future business when he brings on employees. If the industry average is $18, he's going to pay him $20 because he gets it. More often than not, there's there's two things I see in owners who will not pay their employees out of out of a sense of value. There's two reasons I see this happen. The first one is that the the business is so dysfunctional and the owner is making the employee bear the burden for the dysfunction of the business. So a good example of this would be an owner I talked to who said, I want to bring on a salesperson to get me more sales, but because I am losing money every month, I want to only pay them minimum wage. And it's like, you're basically asking someone to have a work, just a miserable lifestyle of working for you at minimum wage because your business is so dysfunctional. I mean, let's, let's, what do you think about this? Your business is so dysfunctional that you by yourself cannot make it profitable. You offer something that people do not want. That's why you're not profitable. And you're going to make someone else suffer the consequences of that. It's like like the startup owner I talked to last week who, you know, they basically went bankrupt and he had brought on 15 employees. It's like, man, and, and he hadn't paid them in six weeks. And it's like because of your dysfunction, you're making someone else bear the burden of that. So that's the first reason I see people miss this. The second thing I see happen with this is that people simply do not want to make less money, and I, I think that's a tough pill to swallow. I talked to one guy. And I've mentioned this guy a few times. I talked to one guy who was—I uh, can't remember the—I really can't remember the numbers, but you know, was making several hundred thousand dollars and. Well, I could pay them more, but I'd be making this much. And it was like, I like making that much money, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, oh man, what a bummer. What a bummer. Because ironically, they would actually be, if you paid your people well, they would be more productive because they would feel bought in. This place takes care of me. This place takes care of me. So I want to do right by them as well. It's a rarity that I have ever seen someone just be the greedy selfish employee. Most people understand altruism. You know, they understand I want to give back to what was given to me. And so what I think the short-term miss is that well it's it's the short-term decision that becomes the long-term miss. It's the owner who says, "You know what? I'm going to I'm going to take home more money today because I want to make that much money." and I'm not going to pay them what they deserve because um, I'm willing to take the, the comfort of today over the long-term security of my business. Purpose, process, and pay. The three Ps of a high-profit culture. So wherever you fall in, in, you know whether you're the employee or the manager, the boss, whoever, You will not be happy in your career without a job that has a high profit culture, a healthy culture. It should be your number one prerogative when it comes to what you develop about your business. And more importantly, if you're job hunting, it should be the number one thing you're looking for. You can make a difference pretty much anywhere, but... You, you, you do not want to put yourself through the misery of a job that has a toxic culture. Thanks for listening longer episode today, but man, this is a, I, you know, shockingly enough, I feel like I've just scratched the surface. Uh, we might need to do another episode on this topic in the near future. Uh, again, 1000 downloads. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support. Anytime you have feedback for me, if you want to talk more about one of the topics that I've discussed, you can always email me Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com, And I hope to hear from you. You all have a great week and I'll see you later.